graffiti on the wall and was extremely dirty. It was behind somebody's house. And I guess a lot of people have traveled through there because, according to my friend, there was a lot of graffiti on the wall. It was about maybe 3 in the morning, 3.30, I'm not even quite sure. But we all just lay down and went to sleep on that dirty, scummy floor. And oh, how wonderful it was. I woke up about an hour and a half later and someone handing me a knife. My knife, I guess, that had fallen out of my pocket. A little boy came into the room at about 7, 7.30 in the morning and told us that he was going to the Gavar, to the store, and did we need anything. Everybody put in an order. I asked for a SIM card and for my phone, and I also asked for some juice and food, and everybody gave him some money. Well, the boy never came back. I guess he, uh, this was uh, a regular occurrence, because later on I found out he lived in the house that was in front of this room we were hiding in. One of the smugglers called me on a on one of the refugees' phones and asked where I had put my backpack. I told him I threw it off the cliff. I knew what he was looking for. He was looking for that cigarette pack that they put in my backpack. Whatever was inside of it, I still don't know what it was. I was supposed to go now to Gavar, and so we were waiting to get a ride. They came and picked up my friend Ali and his family and said that they, that someone else would be coming to pick me up. So, I was all by myself in this room. Several hours went by. Then another three hours went by and it was late in the evening. I started wandering around trying to find somebody to ask what was going on. The people in the house were not very communicative and... That's when I heard the voice of the little boy who had taken all of our money earlier in the morning. After another 20 minutes, a gentleman showed up with that said he, he was there to pick me up and take me to Gabar. There was some type of heated conversation with the people in the house. I don't know exactly what the conversation was, but the guy who came to pick me up kept saying, No, no, God would not forgive you for that. God would not forgive you. That is not nice. That is not good. No, no. I'm supposed to take him. And 
Then he took me and we got in the truck and we headed for Gavar. There was a military checkpoint and believe me, I looked like a mess. My face was all beat up, my beard was long and my clothes were dirty. The, the guy told the, the person at the checkpoint that I was panhandling for money in the villages and he was taking me back to town. I guess that did the trick. When we got to his house, he told me that a lot of people were sleeping in his barn, but he took me into his house with his family, which all of the Kurds had done since the first time I had gone into the village in Iran. They were all extremely good to me and kind. I ate a great meal and I called the United States to try to figure out how to buy a ticket. I was able to get somebody to buy a ticket for me from Istan from Van to Istanbul and from Istanbul to Germany and from Germany to California. It was quite an expensive ticket because it was scheduled for the next morning. Now there are numerous checkpoints along the road. This area of Turkey has a great deal of problems with Kurdish rebels, specifically certain groups that operate in that area. So nobody wanted to give me a ride to Van so that I could catch my flight. Finally, the gentleman who put me up in his house found a couple people who would take me on the drive. I thanked him so much, gave him some money, gave him my knife and several other things that I couldn't take with me on the airplane and got in the car and headed for the airport in Vaughan. When I got to the airport in Vaughan, I got aboard the flight to Istanbul. On the airplane, some Iranian came up to me and sat down next to me and wanted to, was very interested to know what had happened to my face. He kept saying, Where have you been? What happened to you? Did somebody beat you up? What in the world happened to you? I couldn't tell him much. I just told him I had fallen down off a horse. When we got to Istanbul, I walked through the airport with somebody to customs. Now, I had my U.S. passport, but I did not have any evidence of coming into the country or any stamps of coming into the country. Now, on several occasions when I had come to Turkey, I had came into the country with my Iranian passport and had left with my U.S. passport. And so I figured that I would just try it again. When I got to the airport customs control, passport control, the guy did a double take because I was wearing Kurdish pants, dirty clothes, my face was completely beaten up and bruised. And he said, where did you come from? How did you get into the country? 
I said, I came maybe three weeks ago. <laughs> and he said, which airline? I said, same airline that I'm going on. And he kept checking the computer, tapping on the keyboard, checking the computer, and he kept talking and talking to the guy who was escorting me. But after maybe five, six minutes, I finally heard that beautiful crunch of the stamp as he checked me through control. I was elated. I had made it out of Turkey. I got on the plane. I was went to Munich. And from there, I went to the United States. This was an adventure that taught me a lot about myself and about what I can achieve and the goodness of people and how we must work together in order to achieve a goal. I would have never made it out without the help of my Afghani friends. I would have never made it if I didn't have hope. The people of Iran want democracy. They have played monopoly democracy for almost 30 years now, over 30 years. They know what democracy means. They are ready for the real thing. The only way that we can achieve it is by working together. The only way that we can make it happen is to trust each other. Iran is a great nation. And we can make a difference if we work together.